Welcome to the Branches podcast. Branches is a community of faith, hope and love in the South Orange County. We are a church for people who don't go to church. If you'd like to learn more about our faith or our community, visit our website at branchesoc.com. All right, good morning. My name's John. Welcome to Branches. It's good to see you all here. Um, if you have a Bible, please turn to Matthew chapter 6, or scroll there, or tap there, or however it, you get there. Uh, I was talking to a guy the other day, uh, Josh McDowell. Has anybody heard of Josh McDowell? Uh, he wrote a book called More Than a Carpenter, and uh, people were giving him a hard time because he wasn't, he would speak and he would share, and he didn't have like his Bible with him, you know, like the, the Bible, and <laughs> And he says, what are you talking about? I've got 15 Bibles right here, and I've got 16 different translations <laughs> and three different languages right here. But uh, there's something about that, right? Like, we kind of just want to see if, if we've grown up in the church, like, where is this Bible? Where is it? Like, well, it's right here. I've got 30 of them in here, and I've got actually Greek, Hebrew, a bunch of other ones, too. It's pretty cool. Anyway, scroll, tap, turn, whatever you want to do to your Bible, Matthew chapter 6. We've been talking about the way. Anybody been here for this series? A few of you? Three of you, excellent. I love <laughs> Anna. My wife Anna gave me a hard time last week. She's like, "We did a lot of voting last week, sweetie." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, okay." Note to self: no more voting. Um, well, I want to recap a little because I know some of you have been on vacation or uh, just visiting, maybe like my dear friends right here from the East Coast, and some of you uh, just forget, like myself. So, uh, the series, the way, is also. Uh, what the first followers of Jesus were known as the way. And really the thought behind that is it wasn't about like a system of belief. It was about a way of living in the world. And so we've been talking about different ways of living. We talked about silence. Very well done. It's, it's tough to hold the silence. It's just like, ah, there's like a weight. Uh, we talked about silence last week. We talked about meditation I hope some of you tried meditation this last week. I, I, when Max was up here kind of speaking afterwards and sharing uh, his reflections, he talked about there was an app. And uh, so I was, I was like, well, I could probably do that. So I went on and looked for apps for meditation. I found two. So if you're a note taker, uh, you can write these two down. One is called Calm. The other is called Headspace. <laughs> and uh, these apps are not, I want to say, not uniquely Christian, but... Uh, what they will do is teach you how to meditate and f- be focused. Uh, and what I would suggest is focusing on the love that God has for you. Uh, so either reciting the, uh, a scripture verse in your mind, something to come back to. They'll often take you to your breath. And I would say come back to your breath and come back to your, your word of scripture. Uh, this thought that God just simply delights in you is a calming thought. Like he just delights in you. And to sit in that truth for 15 minutes a day will change your life. <laughs> will change your life. So today we're talking about fasting. You don't hear a lot of sermons on fasting, I'm guessing. Um, I didn't hear a lot growing up at least. And the reality is that most of you, if not all of you, fasted last night. And then this morning you had some breakfast, right? It's, it's a word we use all the time. When we shorten it, we generally call it brekkie. Not fasty or fast, uh, but 
the reality is, is from, for about four to 12 hours every night, depending on your sleep cycle or how long you sleep, like Richard here doesn't get more than four hours. So for him, four hours. You're not eating during that time. You're generally in a sleep state, right? And then what happens? You wake up and you break your fast, hence the word breakfast. We don't really think of that very often, like where did that word come from? Well, it comes from the fact that you fast every night and then you break your fast in the morning. Uh, so that's what we're talking about. Uh, for me, it was not all that popular in my tradition. I, I grew up like an evangelical Christian and fasting wasn't super popular in my tradition. Uh, and I don't know about you, but I, I, I just wasn't taught that it was all that important. It was like for the, the uber spiritual people, they would fast like in extreme circumstances, like, well, I don't know if she's my wife or not, so I fasted, you know, and okay, like, and did you hear, like, somehow you could control God with your fasting, which is not true. You may choose to fast, but then you can't say, hey, I, hey, I did my part, speak up. It's not how it works. It's not how it works. Uh, I don't think I ever observed my parents fasting, and not that that's, you know, not that they didn't, I just never knew about it. And maybe they were, like, really private about it. That, that could be, I mean, Jesus talks about how you would fast in secret. So, uh, but I, they didn't really talk to me about it either. Anybody else in the same boat didn't hear much about fasting, didn't experience much fasting. Uh, and now it's gotten even a little broader and more confusing because fasting we understand to be not eating. Uh, and now we have, like, media fasts or TV fasts or Facebook fast or a Instagram, Snapchat Fast. There's all these sorts of uh, fast and net, Netflix fast, uh, Hulu flat fast. Some of you are like, "Whoa!" Like you can take the food, leave the Netflix, you know. <laughs> but uh, like some of you have heard of Lent, and we it starts on Ash Wednesday, and then through Easter Sunday, you would give something up like chocolate or caffeine or smoking or coffee, whatever it might be. Uh, these are different types of fasts, and sometimes it gets confusing. Uh, so it, it leads to me these questions. Uh, did Jesus fast? Did the disciples fast? Did Jesus ever talk about fasting? Uh, is this something we should be paying attention to at all when we think about a way of living in the world? Uh, sometimes, to be honest, fasting sounds like the worst thing ever, especially when there's chocolate old-fashioned donuts right out there, and I'm thinking, eh, those are pretty good. I, I, you know, my mind is, is like so me-focused, so self-centered sometimes. The only benefit I can sometimes see from fasting is like shedding a few unwanted pounds, right? And, but food is so comforting and makes me feel so happy that that method just kind of goes out the door pretty quickly. <laughs> so what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about fasting. I'll talk about what it is. I want to talk about why it's important. Then I want to give you an opportunity to join in a fast. And then we're going to take communion together. Does that sound good? Good. Glad you're with me. Okay. Little-known facts about fasting. First, did you know that fasting is mentioned in Scripture, the Bible, the Bible, (laughs) uh, as much and possibly even more than baptism? Okay? Uh, We make a huge deal about baptism, do we not? When you get baptized, if you've grown up in a Christian tradition, it's a big deal. Some people, they hand out certificates, certificates. Jesus was baptized, so we think we should be baptized, and so we make a big deal about baptism, like, oh, I was baptized on this day, I have a picture of it, all this sort of stuff. Uh, According to one source, baptism is mentioned about 75 times in the scripture. 
Fasting is mentioned 77. It's a neck-and-neck race, but, but fasting is winning, okay? Now, think about how many times you celebrated a fast or you got a certificate for your first one-day fast or three-day fast or seven-day fast or 40-day fast. I, I just, I don't know that this exists. It may, may be the nature of what fasting is meant for, that it is sort of supposed to be a private thing, but there were times when whole nations would fast. A whole nation would be called to fast. Uh, so anyway, I... I think it, there's something about, like, the weight we give to certain religious practices versus others. Okay? Second, did you know Jesus fasted? He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, third, did you know that Jesus expected his disciples to fast? Um, I talk all the time about wanting to be a disciple of Jesus, wanting to be a good disciple of Jesus, a, a close follower. I strive to follow Jesus and I have to confess that I'm still like a kindergartner in this area, or a preschooler, maybe an infant, probably an infant, newborn. Um, I'm no seasoned faster, uh, except for every night. But that doesn't really count, okay, because I'm sleeping. So before you start to feel guilty, I want to remind you of a couple things. Anybody sort of feel like some of these things that we talk about in the spiritual disciplines or ways of Jesus sometimes feel like I'm just adding more things to my life that are difficult more rules, more things that I have to do. That is not the intent. So if you don't hear anything tonight or this morning, hear this, okay? Jesus brought his holiness down to us, okay? Um, He doesn't expect me to have to climb my way up to him. Um, He brought his presence, his blessing, and his holiness down to where we are, Um, And that's really not even an accurate kind of picture uh, because I just have these thoughts of like every time a sports athlete does something good, they, you know, they kneel down, they point up. But Jesus is all around us. So I want to see the first sports athlete that's like, whoo, like Jesus, (laughs) you know. The the Spirit of God is not necessarily up there. It's right here, okay? And in Jesus, that became evident, okay? Okay. So when we talk about habits like prayer or fasting or silence or solitude, these aren't rungs on a ladder that you climb up to get to God, okay? Uh, What this is is these habits, they raise your awareness of what already belongs to you, okay? What these habits do is they raise your awareness of what is already yours, the presence, the fullness, the love, the joy as your context, that's already yours, And what these things do is they open up your eyes to what's all around you. And Jesus would often, you would hear him say, oh, if you just had eyes to see, if you just had ears to hear, you could see what is already yours. You could hear what is already yours. At Jesus' baptism, they said, the heavens opened. And one one scholar said, and he lived his life with the heavens opened. He could see what we couldn't see. And I think he's inviting us into that. So, uh, When we meditate, we learn to live without distractions. When we're silent, we learn to listen. And when we fast, we're going to get into what that does. So fasting, I'm going to give you a working definition, scholars and note takers. Fasting is a follower of Jesus's, that's a terrible way to start a sentence right there, follower of Jesus's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. So this is your voluntary abstinence, which means like refusal of food for spiritual purposes. 
I say follower of Jesus because if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're fasting, then it's for some other purpose. Uh, we're looking at a Christ-centered view of fasting this morning. Uh, I say voluntary because you always have a choice. Even if it's mandated by the government, you can still choose to accept the consequences of not fasting. Am I right? You always have a choice. Uh, and I say for spiritual purposes because fasting for losing weight and guilt and all those other reasons are not good reasons to fast. So uh, I mentioned earlier the broader view of fasting, which includes media or Facebook or snork- uh, smoking, snorkeling. <laughs> <laughs> We all have our things. <laughs> you know, sometimes you're just addicted to snorkeling. <laughs> Instagram, Netflix, Hulu, you get the point. Uh, and those can be tremendously helpful fasts um, because they can break the cycle of habit and dependence on these things, on media, on phones, on games. That can be very beneficial. Um, just as you feel hungry in a fast from food, you have this empty stomach, you feel empty sometimes without media, okay, without your phone, without Netflix, without Hulu, without Snapchat, without whatever it is, and my question is, what do you do to fill that emptiness? Because there's that moment when all of a sudden nothing is being required of you and you're just there. And I've talked about this a lot here. The comedian Louis C.K. does a great bit on it. He's like, you know, there's that moment in your car when you're just sitting there at a light and it starts to visit on you that that you're alone, (laughs) you know? And what he's like, I think that's why everybody's texting and driving. 100% of people are texting and driving because we'd rather risk killing someone else and ourselves than to be alone for a moment. What do you do to fill the emptiness? So these fasts, from media, those things can be really helpful. So a couple of years ago, Anna challenged me, my wife Anna. Uh, sh- she knows me pretty well, and she says, I'll give you a dollar for every day that you don't play a game on your phone. Now, I was like, you're on. She says, but the day that you play the game on your phone, you get however many days, and that's it, and the bet's off. You don't, we don't start over. So it's like a streak. So I said, all right, I'm going to do 100 days. I want 100 bucks, you know, so I'm like, hey, let's go for a new surfboard, it's be good. And uh, it's my 100, I can spend it however I want. Great. Guys that are married, you know about this, so uh, $100 of my own. Uh, so I went for it, and I, I started to fat. I took all the games off my phone, Temple Run, gone, Words with Friends, gone, you know, all, you know, Angry Birds, and everything was just, I took it all off, Street Fighter 4, boom, and uh, <laughs> like... So I had no games on my phone for 100 days. And you know what happened? I was irritable. I was angry. I was just like, I was, I was going through actual withdrawals. It was so strange. I was like, How, what's wrong with me? Why am I so angry? Why am I so, because all of a sudden I have to, I'm stripped of this coping mechanism, right? And people who have, who have come off of alcohol or smoking or any kind of drug, you know, right? Like, I haven't had a smoke in six days. Like, get away. You know, there's sort of things like that this is real. Your, your method of coping, your body is so used to and accustomed to. It's not just spiritual. It's physiological, okay? Your brain has been hardwired after enough time on this thing to know, hey, it's, 
It's downtime. Before your cortisol drops, quick, keep it up. Keep the adrenaline up. Text someone. Look at something. Post something. Play a game. Do something. Keep your brain at this level, okay? Because as soon as that drops, you're going to feel it. So anyway, uh, I still struggle with this. Anybody, I, I'm not going to make you vote, but if you're, are you with me here? Are you with me? Now, I, need to, I think I need to introduce more of these fasts into my life. I, I think social media, we've talked about it so many times here, uh, the phone, all of that, it, it's so relevant to our culture because it's been around for like 10 years, right? We're still just figuring out what this is doing to us. And I think I've said before, like in the mid, I think it was mid-1400s was the printing press. Am I right about that? Something, something like that? Yeah, it's not, yeah, somewhere in there. Um, Imagine 10 years in, you're thinking, yeah, I think this books thing is going to go somewhere. Um, It's like we're just starting to see what this is doing to us, right? We have no idea. We're just getting used to the fact that, oh, yeah, this is a part of my everyday life. This is going to be a part of my daughter's everyday life. She knows how to use this thing already better than I do sometimes. So, and I hate saying that because, like, I grew up with VCRs, and my parents couldn't do the VCR. You know, it was like, can you fix the VCR? And I'm like, six. So I'm like, sure, you know, I'll fix it. And now it's like, hey, sweetie, can you, you know? <laughs> oh, you always want to stay on top of it, right? Anyway, uh, so anyway, these fasts from media, such good ideas. But if you want to fast from food, I think that's a great thing too, okay? So I want to talk a little bit about that. And the idea is that you would replace this, you would replace your food with your attentiveness and presence to God. It's not that you find some other way to cope with the time, like, oh, I can't, I, you know, I can't uh, go on social media, so I'm going to go for a run, right? Which isn't bad, that's better than probably being on social media, but you're just trying to find something else. So we, we go to exercise. Some of you exercise is that thing. It's, it's your Netflix, it's your Hulu, it's, it's, you know, it's your Instagram. That's, that's working out for you. Uh, and because working out really makes you feel good, right? Like it, endorphins and your body and everything. And that's it's very true. I'm not trying to, but it's just, it, it can also be a coping mechanism. Would you, would you, can you understand that? Um, so whatever it is, take that time and give it to Jesus. Um, couple other things. Uh, in the scriptures, fasting is generally referring to food, so I just want to make that clear. They didn't have Instagram uh, or Netflix. Now, there are a number of different kinds of fast mentioned in the scriptures. Uh, there were national fasts, like I said. There are private fasts. There are partial fasts. There are congregational fasts. And there are some supernatural fasts, which I will not recommend for any of you. Um, that would have to be a word from the Lord, and then I would consult like at least 60 other people on this before the supernatural fast, which uh, we know of one from the Old Testament. There's, pro- there's more than one probably, but uh, Moses goes up on the mountain. So if you feel like, you know, I think I'm the next Moses, you go up on some mountain, uh, spend 40 days and nights without bread and water. Uh, that's not possible for a human being. They, most scientists will, and doctors will say three days is the max the body's going to live without water. Uh, so please don't try the supernatural fast. Uh, but I want to look at what Jesus says. If we're going to model our lives after anyone, we're going to model our lives after Jesus, okay? And uh, in the New Testament, 
Matthew 4, it says he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. Matthew 4, 2. Uh, so Jesus got hungry. God got hungry. <laughs> Jesus got hungry, okay? It doesn't say that he was thirsty, so we assume that he was drinking during this time, uh, water, but man, he must have been hungry. But we know Jesus fasted, and we know he expected his disciples to fast. And so you can read with me in Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. It says, whenever you fast, don't look dismal like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so as to show others that they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus says, when you fast. He doesn't say, if at some time you feel so led. uh, Or uh, if sometime you're just feeling kind of guilty about not living up to all my standards, then you should fast. Or if you just heard like a really good message on fasting, then you should fast. Uh, And don't post it on Facebook and don't Snapchat your friends while you're all at In-N-Out and you're not eating anything. Don't post a picture of your empty plate You just keep it to yourself, okay? Man, I've seen a lot of food out there these days. You read a little bit further in Matthew, chapter 9, verses 14 and 15. Then the disciples of John, John the Baptist, came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often? (laughs) It's just like a... uh, You ever know when someone's like saying something without saying it? (laughs) You know, like, how come we are super spiritual and fast all the time, but your disciples don't? Uh, your disciples don't, do not fast. And Jesus said to them, the wedding guests can't mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? Uh, it's a weird sort of response, not one I would normally give to my friends, but uh, essentially, like, you don't fast during the wedding, right? Everybody's there, you're celebrating, it's good. And... Uh, The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Uh, So Jesus says there's a time coming when he'll be taken away, and then they will fast. And I wonder if the disciples, like, looked at each other and were like, hey, did you know that fasting was a part of this deal? But he expects them to fast. So what is fasting? It's a follower of Jesus' voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes, but it can also mean these other things. If you're looking for more information on like media fast, that kind of, and where it comes from, I would look into uh, Richard Foster has a book called Celebration of Discipline where he talks a little bit about that in more depth. And I, I love giving you guys resources. Last week you got, some of you came up. So this book, The Spiritual Disciplines Handbook, if you're looking for stuff on fasting, page 218 in this, really good. And then also The Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life. This is going to walk through a lot of the different scriptural fasts. So you can come and look at these afterwards, and I would just recommend this information that I'm giving you. It's all available to you, uh, and it can take you even deeper into what this stuff is. So can you see how in our tradition, people of the way were in, in the habit of giving up something that was necessary for life in order to connect with the source of life itself? Our food the sun, oxygen, atmosphere, water, all these things are necessary to live, okay? Breathing in and out and eating and drinking and soaking in the sun, 
all those things are necessary for life. In this tradition that you and I belong to, we sometimes give up the eating, okay, to enter into the provision of God. And Jesus says really weird things like in John 6, he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. I ask pastors, friends, seminary students all the time, hey, what did Jesus say are the two things you have to do to have life in you? And very few get that answer, right? Uh, Make disciples and pray. Uh, Love God and love one another. Uh, Eat my flesh and drink my blood. After he gave this sermon, by the way, it says, uh, a lot of people said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And many left. (laughs) So it's kind of weird, right? What does it mean to feast? Jesus, at one point, uh, he sends the disciples into town because he's a little beat. He's like tired from the journey and he hangs out at this well, has a conversation with a woman. And uh, so they go to get like some sandwiches, bring them back to him and they're, you know, at the end of this whole thing where he tells this woman about how she's had five husbands and you, if you've heard this story, you remember great stories in the scripture. Uh, Jesus says, I have food you don't know about. And they're like, did you give him food? I didn't give him food. Did you give him food? I have food that you don't know about. What? And he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. So there's something about time with with Christ that actually sustains you. Now, we don't ever get to experience that if we don't ever try it, okay? But in this tradition that you and I belong to, sometimes we give up the eating to enter into the provision that God has for us. It's like a reset button. Now, why is it important? First, it's important because, well, Jesus expects you to do it, um, and he did it for that reason alone. But let me, let me just take it a little further. Why is this important? When you choose to fast and it comes from a desire rather than guilt, uh, you fast because it means you love God more than you love food. That's a crazy thought. And that seeking him is more important to you than eating Uh, that's why I think these biblical fasts are so great uh, because you let go of something you need to survive, <laughs> right? You face your own hunger. You come face-to-face with your emptiness. And, and fasting from Facebook and Instagram or Snapchat, you're giving up something you probably shouldn't be spending so much time on, and that's a great thing. But Facebook isn't like a necessity for life, contrary to what you think. Um, giving up something like food (laughs) brings you face-to-face with the hunger that's at the core of your being. So if you want to fast, start small. Do one meal. Do it with a purpose and seek the Lord in your hunger. Um, I wonder if we just fasted a little more often, uh, if we made this sort of declaration that I love God more than food, which is just... And again, your brain has to be trained in this. This isn't like natural. Uh, Jesus fasted. His disciples fasted. We're his disciples. We should at least consider it. Uh, When you think of fasting outside of Jesus, who's the person that comes to your mind? I have one in my head. Anybody? Gandhi. Gandhi fasted. Uh, And with that act, he, he pretty much put a whole nation to flight. It was pretty incredible. 
Gandhi, from what I understand in my limited studies, 17 fasts for a total of 140 days of fasting. I mean, this is throughout his lifetime that at least are recorded, right? He had three three-week fasts. <laughs> and uh, I, was, I was reading uh, this book. It's called Gandhi, Gandhi, Portrait of a Friend, written by this conservative Baptist missionary, uh, E. Stanley Jones, I think is the one who wrote it. And uh, he says, some of you Christians wonder whether or not Gandhi will be in heaven. And he says, how dare you judge Gandhi? Gandhi will probably judge you, for he, with his small knowledge of the gospel, lived it out, while you, with your vast knowledge of the gospel, barely take one step that looks (sighs) Christ-like. What does it look like to live out? It goes all the way back to what we've been talking about this whole time. This is a way of living, not just a system of beliefs. That's a way of living. Uh, Some of you know that I get involved with the National Prayer Breakfast every year. One of the guys I've gotten to know over the years a little bit is a a former congressman named Tony Hall. And Tony Hall did a fast when he was in Congress. Uh, They were reappropriating funds, and he was on the... He was on a committee for uh, U.S. and world hunger. And they said, you know what, we don't have, time. We don't have the money for this committee, so we're, we're taking it out. We're taking the money and we're shutting down the committee. He says, my, my committee costs probably about $600,000. And this was supposed to go back to the people. What it went to was funding the other committees. And he was so fed up and so moved, he just said, you know what? Millions of people go to bed hungry every night. A billion people in the world are malnourished. I'm not eating until something changes with this thing. He's like, I had no power, I had no money, and I just trusted Jesus that I was just not going to eat. He invited others to join him in his fast. For 22 days, Tony Hall, congressman, decided not to eat. He just drank water. At the end of the 22 days, a lot had happened. The UN heard about it. And they appropriated, I believe it was $100 million toward microfinance and small business in, in Africa and the U.S. The money's since been paid back and has grown to $250 million uh, to end world hunger. Tony Hall gets appointed to be uh, the ambassador to the U.N. for world hunger in Italy and served there and now runs a nonprofit in D.C., uh, now, I can't promise, and neither could Tony, that, that God was going to do something through this, right? And he said, hey, he, told, he was telling us, I was so afraid of just looking like a fool. You know, what's this congressman doing? And he said, and I didn't know if God was going to do anything, but I knew that I was supposed to not eat until something changed. So, if you don't at least try it. <laughs> Again, you don't have that opportunity to see what God might do. How he might open your eyes and your ears to something greater. Uh, now, I wanted to also end with two things. One, how you can get involved in a fast. And then two, uh, communion. In the days of Jesus, there were also congregational and commun- communal fasts. Uh, sometimes whole nations would be called to a fast, and in this case, we're going to call upon just you brothers and sisters here uh, to fast with us for one meal 
um, the meal is breakfast on Sunday, next Sunday, okay? So if you're a note taker or you're an eye calendar person or whatever uh, you use, one meal. So here are the conditions of the fast. You eat dinner on Saturday night, okay? But then you fast from after dinner till we have our feast here on Sunday morning at 11, okay? Um, that means no after-dinner snacks, no late-night fridge visits. Um, you can drink water. And then in the morning when you might normally eat or grab a protein bar or whatever you would do, just take that time to pray instead, okay? And we're offering up a specific prayer on behalf of our brother Boog and his family. Uh, when I was thinking about this, it just made sense. Um, so if you're a note taker again, we're going we're gonna to pray that God would heal Boog. At the very least, that his health would improve and his lungs would be restored. And we're also going to pray protection over his family and comfort for his family. Um, so that's our communal fast that we're going to do together. Uh, and I hope that you'll join in with that. If you have time left over, <laughs> uh, some of us, and me included, aren't seasoned prayers either. So it's like, dear God, help Boog. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and then you're like, okay, now I, I'm usually eating for at least another 20 minutes. <laughs> uh, just sit in that time with the Lord, okay? Uh, devote that time to connecting with God. Receive the love that he has for you. Be silent. Listen to what he has to say. Meditate on the scriptures. Pray for others that you know that might be suffering. Uh, you might find you have a lot of things to talk about. Uh, but this is a communal fast that we're doing for one meal for Boog and for his family. Uh, so when you fast, fast for a purpose. We're fasting and praying for Boog and his health. Now, we're going to move to a time of communion and uh, I want to talk briefly about this practice because it's part of the way. Um, communion, the table, the sacraments, the Eucharist, lots of different names. Uh, they are all a reminder of God's good gift to us. Okay? Anybody, uh, just in your mind, just think when your first time you took communion was. If you've never taken communion, that's okay. You don't need, you can watch or you're welcome to participate. Uh, but in our tradition, the Eucharist, uh, it means the good gift. Okay, and in, in the Greek, eu means good, E-U, and then charis means grace or gift, like Bug's daughter, grace or gift, okay? So the Eucharist, we get that word because it says in the scriptures, Jesus, Eucharistesas, which means he gave thanks, good thanks. So we say... I think there's even, a, is it Jen Hatmaker or Ann Voskamp? She has a book called A Thousand Gifts. And in that book, she has a little like hashtag that she's given out to everybody saying, Eucharisteo is that, that word thanksgiving, good thanks. Uh, that word eulogy, to say good words. So Eucharist, it reminds us of how Jesus' body was broken and his blood was poured out for us. That he was the good gift to us. God's good grace to us. His body was broken. 
and his blood was poured out for us, for our healing, for our restoration. And that's what we're doing here. We're meant to give of ourselves for the healing of the world. Just as Jesus gave of himself for the healing of the world, we then break ourselves open and pour ourselves out for the healing of others. And this this communion, this table, this good gift, we do this in remembrance of what he did and how we are to model that in our own lives. So like I said, Jesus says those weird things like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. Or he'll say things like, I'm the bread of life that comes down from heaven. Or man must not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. He has all these, these ways of saying, I'm the vine, you are the branches. And on that night of the Passover, he took the bread and the cup. He would say their traditional Jewish prayers, which I'll say for you. Uh, they went like this, Baruch atah Adonai olechenu malech ha'olam ha'motzi lechem min haretz. In the Hebrew, which means, blessed are you, Lord, our God, ruler of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. But Jesus says, this is my body, which is broken for you. And in the same way, he took the cup, and, and at Passover, the Jews would say, Baruch atah Adonai olechenu malech ha'olam Blessed are you, Lord, our God, ruler of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. And Jesus says, this is my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. How do we begin to understand what it means to go without in order to truly enter into the provision of God? So we're going to take communion together. I'm going to invite... uh, our servers to come up and uh, get the elements ready. And essentially, uh, when we take this communion, we'll take it together. Uh, but the way we've been doing it here is in our own time. But communion, it's meant to be taken as a body. When you sit at the table, you share life, right? They were sharing in the literal life of Jesus at that moment. You want life in you? You need my life in you. When you invite someone over to your house for dinner and you cook them food, some of you just just walk through this in your head with me. You work all day. You earn money. You take that money and you buy food. You invite your friend over and they eat that food. They're eating your life your sweat, your time away from your kids, your time with your kids, (laughs) they're ingesting your life. And that draws you together in a way that is, is, is beyond words. That's why the meal is so powerful. And in this meal that we take together, we take in his life. Because just as we're just as he broke his body open and poured out his blood for us for the healing of us, we're, we ought to be doing that for others. But we can't do it until exhaustion, so we need to bring back more life. And that's what the Eucharist does for us. It's, to, it's like a fresh start. <laughs> Another meal, more sustenance for the journey. So I'm going to have a, the band is going to play some music. I'm going to pray.
And then just as you feel comfortable, come up and take, take the bread. This is bodies, the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. I'd, if you can, take it with someone around you and uh, listen to what the Lord might have, you, have to say to you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words, for your example. Lord, that you brought your holiness down to us. Lord, I pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear what's happening all around us all the time, that your love is moving, moving towards us from all directions, that you desperately want to commune with us. Lord, I, I again lift up Boog and his family, and Lord, we, are, we want to commit to fasting and, and giving up what we need for life so that we might enter into what you have for us. Jesus' name, amen.